The Athletic. Hi there, good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday the 15th of September. I'm Adam Leventhal and today we're asking... What now for Jadon Sancho at Manchester United? Tonight will have made a decision on Sancho now. It's been a long-running thing, this, in terms of timekeeping, in terms of uh, performance levels in training. What's driving De Zerbi's revolution at Brighton? He's very keen that his players enjoy their football, express themselves, play without fear. And what does CEO change mean at Arsenal? Will they bring in another same style of chief executive? Will they fill the role? I, I presume so. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Adam Leventhal. We start with more off-the-field disruption at Manchester United, with Jadon Sancho now training away from the first team, pending the resolution, as the club say, of a squad discipline issue. Our United reporter Laurie Whitwell is here to bring us further details. So banished from Eric Ten Hag's first team. So where is he training then, Laurie? So he is training at Carrington, but it's with the uh, academy. So he is using their facilities to yeah uh, get changed. And I don't know if it's going to be solo sessions that he's going to be with or whether it's actually going to be with the under-21s team that's um, coached by Travis Binion. But yeah, he'll be training away from the first team at Carrington, but with the academy facilities. Okay, so what's your take then on the relationship between Ten Hag and Sancho now then? I mean, it feels broken, right? Sancho was asked to apologise to Ten Hag for the social media post that he uh, made after Ten Hag had said he wasn't in the Arsenal squad because of training levels, uh, where he basically called Ten Hag a liar, really. He says, don't believe everything you read. And it was it was the Manchester United manager that was producing the words that were being read by people. So he asked for an apology, which seems kind of the first step, really, to some kind of resolution. Um, he has deleted that post now uh, that was pinned uh, at the top of his Twitter account uh, for, for a while. Uh, so at least that sort of looked like it was going to be edging towards some kind of resolution. But an apology wasn't forthcoming from Sancho so Ten Hag has taken this uh, next step to banish him and showing his authority again. Um, football director John Murta was involved in mediation trying to bring about um, some kind of compromise but I think ultimately if the manager feels that he's been wronged very publicly as well um, then it's going to take an apology to make up for that and if Sancho's not forthcoming then that's where the relationship ends. So where does this story go now if as you say it's a broken relationship between player and and manager. United looked to find a club in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they were open to offers uh, before the transfer window closed. Um, so this was after the spat, but before the transfer window had closed in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Jaden Sancho wasn't interested, it seemed, in entertaining any of those offers. But I think ultimately, you know, Tenag will have made a decision on Sancho now. It's been a long-running thing, this, in terms of timekeeping, in terms of uh, performance levels in training. Um, and I think he would you know, sell Sancho um, to a club that gave a good offer. More on all things Manchester United on our dedicated podcast, Talk of the Devils. 
So no Sancho for the foreseeable future at Manchester United, meaning he won't face Brighton on Saturday at Old Trafford. United's opponents with a spring in their step in contrast to their hosts. Setting the tone at the club is Roberto De Zerbi, Brighton's Italian head coach who led the club into Europe for the first time last season. And there's an in-depth interview with him right now on The Athletic. The man who sat down with him is our Brighton reporter Andy Naylor who joins us now. So three wins out out of four so far this season. How would you describe De Zerbi's philosophy for those who are watching and admiring Brighton's rise from afar then? Well, the first thing is about enjoyment. He's very keen that his players enjoy their football, express themselves, play without fear. So that's the first point. Secondly, his mantra, if you like, is that he regards the seven, the nine, the ten and the eleven in the team as the players with the most quality. So his idea is all based around getting the ball to them in good situations where they can do their thing. And if you look at it at Brighton, under his guidance, you've got Evan Ferguson playing as a nine, Danny Welbeck on the wings, Kaoru Matoma and Solly March. If you look at the 10, Joao Pedro, we've got Julio Enciso, who unfortunately is injured at the moment. You've got Ansu Fati going to be added to that mix from Barcelona, signed at the end of the window. So all of those players I've mentioned have really thrived under the Italian. OK, and what would you say are his foundation stones? Where has this way of playing come from? Well, a lot of it stems from his playing career really so when he was starting out on his coaching journey at the uh, National Coaching Centre in Florence he produced a thesis which was basically his idea of football but a lot of it's to do with his history his family he grew up in Brescia used to watch them with his father Alfredo so he's always got this this view of how important it is to respect the fans and understand how the fans feel about their club. So that was one element. And also him as a player, he was a number 10. And it was really partly from his experiences as a player, both good and bad. What he says now is he had to do what he was told when he was a player. Now he decides the rules. And Andy, as we mentioned, they take on United this weekend. Does he tend to tinker against the so-called bigger clubs, albeit Brighton are sixth, what, five places and three points ahead of United going into the weekend? His strategy doesn't change, uh, regardless of who they're playing. Of course, he respects the opposition, he respects all the opponents, but his fundamental principles don't change. The closest that came to changing was five matches into his Brighton reign. In his first four games, they had a tough start. They had two points from four games and were going to Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. And he had a meeting the day before that game to discuss with his staff the possibility of being a little bit less adventurous. But he decided to stick to his guns. They actually lost that game 3-1, but it was a much closer game than the scoreline suggested. They played really well. And that really was the launch pad because from that moment they won six of their next eight matches. Andy, thank you very much. Among Brighton's squad, let's not forget, is Ansu Fati, who's on loan from Barcelona. And just wanted to mention, they've now had their spending cap. That's the amount a club is permitted to spend during a season on all outgoings, including players, slashed. And there's plenty of analysis on what that means for the Spanish champions on the Athletic website and app right now. 
You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Okay, now to Arsenal and to news broken by our football correspondent David Ornstein that the club's CEO, Vinay Venkatesham, is to leave his post next summer ending a 14-year spell at the club. Let's analyse what this means with David, who joins us now. So how long has this been brewing then? Well, the departure of Vinay Venkateshwam from Arsenal next summer is something I started hearing about some weeks ago. It brings to an end um, a very impressive spell uh, at Arsenal in various capacities uh, for Venkatesham. He had previously been with the British Olympic Association. I think he remains a non-executive director of that as well as holding seats on the ECA, uh, European Club Association, um, and also a UEFA clubs committee. And he moved around. He rose through the organisation, highly regarded, seen as a bit of a voice of reason within Premier League meetings, for example. A diplomat, he's got very good ideas, good academic background. He was an Oxford graduate. And he's seen a lot at Arsenal on the journey, roller coaster, you could say, he's been on. And he leaves with the club currently in a prosperous position, back challenging for Premier League titles. But it's not all been plain sailing during his time at the club, has it? Joining in, what, 2010, 14 years ago, by the time he leaves, that was a tough period in Arsenal's history as they moved to the Emirates Stadium and they struggled to hold on to their best players. They failed to win trophies, but then they broke through under Wenger towards the end of his reign with a couple of FA Cups and uh, then they had the managerial changes. Then there was a very tough period uh, that involved redundancies in the COVID pandemic also the European Super League that saw a lot of executives leave the respective clubs that were involved. But he survived. Uh, he had a dual role for a period with Raul Sanlehi, but Sanlehi went. Uh, there have been so many changes at Arsenal and you could say Venkateshan was the great survivor. Um, took the chief executive's role in 2020 um, and has led the club on a day-to-day basis. And I guess Arsenal fans are now thinking what materially will change and, I suppose more importantly, what's next? I think there are some who will be sorry to see him go, a bit disappointed, some shock. Will they bring in another same style of chief executive? Will they fill the role? I presume so. They will have plans in place and will formulate those plans going forward because he'll be there for some months yet and that will give them time him time to tie up loose ends and uh, continue business as usual until he goes and and Arsenal to um, not have the shock of him going right now or soon you know there's a sustained period for them to try and get this right but it's a bit of an end of an era and one that produces some intrigue as to what happened next and we'll try and keep you fully abreast of that on The Athletic. David thank you very much and just a quick word across North London at Tottenham there's more on site right now regarding the club's extension of their NFL partnership which you can check out right now. Well, what round ball action is on your TV agenda? Remember, there's Premier League across the weekend on Sky Sports and TNT in the UK. It's on NBC and USA Network, streaming on Peacock in the States. Before that, though, the Friday night football, you've got Germany's top two, Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen, head-to-head, 7.30pm in the UK. That's on Sky Sports. That's 2.30 Eastern time on ESPN Plus in the States. France... Paris Saint-Germain, the champions, take on Nice. That's 8pm UK time on TNT. That's 3pm Eastern time on BN Sports 
in the US. And two clubs trying to get back in the English Premier League, now in the Championship, Southampton and Leicester City in action. 8pm in the UK on Sky Sports, that's 3pm Eastern Time, ESPN Plus in the US. Okay, that's your daily football briefing. Tim Spears is going to be back with you on Monday. Your producer today was Mike Zimmerman, executive producer Ian McIntosh. And don't forget to drop us a follow on your podcast app. Tell your pals about the pod. It would be much appreciated. And if you want more on the Premier League action, you can check out the Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview. It is out now with me and a tip-top panel this week. This is Adam Leventhal signing out. Thanks very much for listening. The Athletic.